time to make the crunch time plays. Now your host, Bennett Gainey. Crunch, crunch, crunch time plays. This is Pat Smith from Three Man Front, and you're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin with Sports Illustrated's Dogs Daily. You're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Tara Talmadge with the Pig Trail Nation, and you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, it's Jim Dunaway from the next round, and when it comes down to the final ticks on the clock, always look for Crunch Time Plays. Hello, everybody. Thanks for hopping in to Week 8 college football crunch time recap started our crunch time recap last week in week seven certainly had plenty of action to cover there and we're back again this week as we're going to be throughout the rest of the college football season with the crunch time recap recap in week eight now i know they sold it to us as a as a sleepy saturday but it you know as we all know they love college football the saturdays are never sleepy uh, around these parts so definitely excited to have you along with us for week eight of the crunch time recap thank you so much for tuning in make sure you're following on social media at plays crunch got content coming out there that you're not going to get on the youtube channel or the podcast feed so make sure you subscribe to all of the platforms including the youtube channel 95 percent of our viewers still aren't subscribed so it's totally free to hit that subscribe button hit the like button just helps us out with what we want to do right here on crunch time plays and make sure you're subscribed on apple podcasts and spotify as well and make sure you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Always appreciate, really appreciate that and appreciate everybody being along. So crunch time recap for week eight. Got to give a shout out before we get into the games, our reaction to the games, to prizepicks.com. If you were with us on Friday, the crunch time preview show, you hit on the prize picks player props for this week. Joseph Ngata under 38 and a half receiving yards for the Tigers. Of course, he didn't play because of COVID. And DJ Uyangole, 192 and a half under passing yards, only 128 passing yards in the game for DJ. So if you were with us on the Crunch Time preview show on Friday, you got those Crunch Time plays on prizepicks.com. And you also got the Crunch Time play, Pittsburgh minus three and a half. So I hope everybody cashed on that over the weekend and make sure that you sign up today on prizepicks.com. They've got anything you want over there. They're the number one daily fantasy sports app. They got the NFL, Major League Baseball, the World Series starting this week, Braves and Astros. They're going to have all your fantasy props over there for that. And the NBA just started back up as well. And then we're going to be dishing out college football player props for the rest of the week. Got some games Later on in the week, they're going to have props for, and you know all the games on Saturday, they're going to have player props for those as well. So don't forget to use the code CRUNCHTIMEPLAYS. Automatically get that 100% deposit match up to $100 on prizepicks.com. And let's keep making the crunch time plays throughout the season. But on to the crunch time recap of week eight. Got an exciting week nine slate coming up. But let's go ahead and react to what we saw in week eight so on the crunch time preview show on friday we previewed pitt versus clemson and that is the game that we want to start out with right here on the crunch time recap pitt defeats clemson 27 to 17 they get their signature win 
against Clemson. And I know some are going to look at this and ask why it's a signature win because Pitt was favored in the game. Because first, even though Clemson is struggling this year as a program, they're still the class of the ACC. They're still the standard that every other team in the ACC is trying to get to. So huge kudos to Pat Narduzzi and Pitt on the win on Saturday. And then the second reason why it's a signature win is because Pat Narduzzi said it himself on the field after the game uh, in his interview. And yeah, and you know, I gotta gotta I gotta have a feeling that those pit players are gonna be hanging on to those gold sharpies the rest of the season and beyond. They pass one over here because if we get a gold, imagine what we can do with our crunch time plays with a gold sharpie. I mean, that pretty much guarantees us a win on all the prize picks player props and all the, the crunch time plays, the betting picks against the spread. Well, that, that's got to guarantee us a win if we got a gold Sharpie, right? So, you know, if you're if you're a Pitt fan uh, listening to this, go ahead and find us a, a way to uh, get one of those gold Sharpies. That'll certainly be uh, much appreciated. So congrats to Pat Narduzzi and congrats to Pitt on that signature win on Saturday. You know, on the crunch time preview show, kind of just throwing out some of the numbers just based on what we've seen so far from Clemson. I thought over 24 points would be good enough for Pitt, and that's exactly what happened. They ended up winning the game 27-17. to 17. I saw a really incredible tweet from Matt Zenas of On3 Sports that you should check out. Put out a tweet about Power 5 teams that haven't scored 20, 20 or more points against FBS teams this season. There's only two, Arizona and Clemson. And – now, I know talking about the offense for Clemson, I know everybody wants to place the blame on DJ Uyangale. And while he's certainly not been good at all, you know, the balls that have been thrown well have been dropped. You know, I think about that critical third down on Saturday against Pitt where Will Shipley would have easily had the first down, probably would have scored on that play. And, and Clemson certainly would have had an opportunity to score, even if he would have converted that several games. You know, just several games that there's been critical drops by the receivers and running backs. You know, the game against Syracuse, several drops by receivers as well. So it's not all on DJ Uyunglele. I know it's it's mostly, you know, he's certainly been sporadic with the football, but you know, a lot of the blame can be can be placed on on the wide receivers and running backs as well, and the offensive line. The offensive line just hadn't had any continuity injuries. Saw Bach Horse go down on Saturday. Just no continuity on that offensive line. The offensive line really has not been good for the Tigers so far this season. And the entire year of the Clemson offense so far came full circle and can be summarized by that shovel pass pick six to DJ through to Servacia Dennis that ended up on the bench. And, and Tyson Fomachon ended up coming into the game for those a few plays for, for DJ when, when he got benched in the game. So have to think the NIL executives over at Dr. Pepper uh, kind of cringed a little bit whenever they saw uh, that shovel pass pick six for, for DJ. They're, they're definitely going to be, I, I got a feeling that, that Dr. Pepper has learned their lesson uh, with these NIL deals. I think they're going to vet uh, these, especially these top notch quarterbacks that, you know, have only played two games leading into this season like DJ had, you know, you're definitely going to have to start uh, questioning uh, some of these NIL deals for quarterbacks that these top brands, and especially when you're as top of a brand as Dr. Pepper, you're going to want to make sure that you've, that you've got, 
you know, what we thought was a top-notch quarterback heading into the season, but he certainly hadn't panned out that way. So just really hate it for him, but hate it for Dr. Pepper as well. Seems like they kind of wasted their money a little bit. I'm sure they're still uh, getting – I'm sure they're still getting plenty of profit off of what DJ's been doing for them anyway, but still got to think that they – that those NIO executives over there uh, kind of put their face in their hands after they saw that – uh that shovel pass pick six from, from DJ on Saturday. But the final thing on this game is Kenny Pickett did have his Heisman moment on Saturday, especially what he did in the second half, putting the team on his back. Didn't have Jordan Addison in the second half. Didn't have their running back in the second half. A couple other guys they didn't have in the second half. Clemson's defense is really good, and he just made play after play after play, and he has put himself in the Heisman conversation. So, again, huge congrats to Pat Narduzzi and that whole program on the big win on Saturday. Moving on to the Big Ten, got a few things I want to cover here. So, just kind of going ahead and lumping in the entire Big Ten into one. Going to recap week eight, especially look ahead to week nine at the end because the Big Ten East round-robin gauntlet is starting this Saturday. Michigan at Michigan State. Penn State at Ohio State. Huge, huge weekend in the Big Ten coming up. Going to talk about that in just a moment. How about Illinois? They stunned Penn State 20-18. to Longest game in college football history with nine overtimes, but it obviously was with the new overtime rules with the the two-point conversions uh, after, the, after the second overtime. So that uh, rule came into, came into play in this game and now, before I get into the game, I did kind of want to talk about that that overtime rule. You know, honestly, going back and watching the game, I felt like I was watching a shootout in a soccer match, just going back and forth with two-point conversion after two-point conversion. And, you know, personally, you know, I, I don't like the new overtime rule. I wish that, that they could do something about it after this year. It's probably going to be, hey, who knows, with the NCAA, it's probably going to be another five or six years before they – go back and uh, look at that rule again. But personally, what I would like to see is no kicks in overtime, no PATs, no field goals, just four down territory through all the overtimes. And after you score a touchdown, then you go for two in the first overtime. And after you get to the third overtime, there is no two-point conversions back and forth. It just, just felt like too much of a soccer match for me. I felt like I was watching a shootout. and but like we said, given the way that the NCAA uh, does the rules nowadays, it'll probably be another five years before before uh, we get anywhere on that rule uh, for that. So maybe if if you like the new overtime rule, you know, I'm I'm just telling you what I think about it. I just I just don't like it, and felt like it. I, I yeah, it just something needs to change uh, on that on that overtime rule, but doubt it will anytime in the future. So we'll probably have to live with it for the next few years. But anyway, on to the game. Now the Penn state offense was having great success uh, leading in to Sean Clifford getting hurt against Iowa. And, you know, I definitely thought as many others did that with Clifford back this week, they would probably roll to an easy win, even at 75, eight, you know, even if he was at 70, 75% Clifford, I thought the Penn state would be able to do enough offensively to, you know, maybe not cover the minus 23 and a half spread, but 
at least win by two touchdowns, 17 points, something like that, especially with um, how rainy and, and kind of cool the conditions were on Saturday up in State College. But, you know, Brett Bielema blasted his team during the week, and clearly they responded. So all credit to them. Message received loud and clear with 357 yards rushing. They dominated the time of possession, having the ball 13 minutes longer than Penn State. Penn State, another critical area, was third down. They were only four of 17 on third down. So all of that just adds up to the game that we saw. And I have to think that when Clifford is fully healthy, you know, everybody's going to be wondering where what happens now for Penn State. They certainly have plenty of opportunities left, maybe not to get to the college football playoff after that loss against Illinois, but certainly have a chance in this Big Ten East. Uh, round robin, if they went out, they can go to the Big Ten championship game and and still have a great season. So, But none of that is going to be the case if you can't improve on offense. But I have to think that when Clifford is fully healthy, we're going to see that Penn State offense that we saw uh, in the first few minutes of the game against Iowa because as good as Iowa's defense is, Penn State was really letting them have it until Clifford came out of the game. So. And they're going to need that offense to step up again because the Big Ten East round robin gauntlet starts on Saturday. Now, speaking of that, how about Ohio State? They pound it. They pound Indiana, fifty-four to seven. The offense is firing on all cylinders right now. C.J. Stroud, another workman-like performance: twenty-one of twenty-eight for two hundred and sixty-six yards and four touchdowns. Six touchdowns in the first half from Ohio State on six possessions. They never punted until the first drive of the second half. You know, defensively, kind of thought Illinois would give them a little bit uh, more of a test, especially given the struggles that Ohio State had against Oregon defensively. We hadn't seen Ohio State play another team that has the caliber offensively that Oregon had. Of course, they had C.J. Verdell then as well Oregon of course he's out for the year now certainly hate that for him but Ohio State thought they were going to be tested a little bit more against Indiana especially if Indiana had no turnovers in the game which they did and you know they had been played by turnovers throughout the year so definitely thought if if they could not turn the ball over in this game that maybe uh, they would have a chance offensively but Ohio State certainly was had another incredible uh, performance again offensively, and and you know, they're gonna they're gonna continue to to look ahead. They've got Penn State this week, and and the Big Ten round robin, Big Ten East round robin is gonna be on. So we're gonna see if if Sean Clifford is healthy. I think that'll be a really good test for Ohio State defensively to really find out where they are this week and looking ahead to week nine we're going to have a big big 10 crunch time preview show later in the week where we're going to lump in these two games together michigan at michigan state ohio state versus penn state and you know it's quite fitting that this big 10 round robin gauntlet starts on halloween weekend because of all the games you know all the games are going to be treats and there's definitely going to be some tricks in there as well. This is college football after all. So we can only expect 
to have a lot of tricks and treats in this Big Ten East round robin through the rest of the season. So now moving on to the SEC, moving on from the Big Ten to the SEC. How about Alabama? They pull away from Tennessee 52-24. to But if you didn't watch the game and just looked at the box score or the actual score, you probably would have thought that the tide rolled throughout. But this was a one-score game with 14-30 left in the fourth quarter. Alabama only led 31-24. Now, the difference in the game offensively for Tennessee was three and outs. They had six of them, and that included the one uh, after the block punt when it was 21-14. to They went three and out, only got the field goal to make it 21-17. You know, we've kind of hinted at it all year. This is the potential byproduct of what happens when you run the kind of offense that Tennessee does, and especially when you you have limited depth on defense. You know, you were on the field 101 plays against Ole Miss last week. Alabama ran 92 plays on Saturday night, so a great, solid performance for Alabama. But there's a lot of optimism around Knoxville. And if you're a Tennessee fan listening to this, you have to be optimistic, especially the way that you fought against Alabama. You hit them with a lot of explosives in the game. Certainly plenty of things to build on. If you're Josh Heupel, the future does seems like it's certainly bright there, especially if they can have the kind of success that they want to have in recruiting after the season, really selling the offense really selling the depth and playing time on defense. And I think the future is bright at Tennessee for the first time in a while. I feel like their their fans are really starting. If you're a Tennessee fan listening to this, I feel like you're you're starting to have a lot more optimism about where Tennessee is going in the future. So stock up for Tennessee, even though you lost so much fight and a lot of explosiveness offensively against Alabama and stock up for Josh Heupel as well. And and that program uh, will certainly be on the rise if they can have the success after the season in recruiting and in the portal, probably on defense that they want to have. And moving on from that, Ole Miss staying in the West. Ole Miss outside of the first quarter handles LSU 31-17. Defensively, I thought D.J. Durkin and that whole defensive staff had a great plan, took away everything LSU was able to do successfully against Florida, only had 77 yards rushing for the Tigers in the game. Mark Robinson and Chance Campbell continued to play well at linebacker, and Ole Miss got back to what they want to do on offense and running the football. Snoop Connor with 14 carries for 117 yards. Jaron Ely almost 100 yards on the ground as well. So, great complimentary win for Ole Miss, getting Springer back on defense, having Robinson and Campbell playing as well as they are these last couple weeks, and Campbell really the entire season, but especially Robinson of late. They're they're really starting to play more complimentary football, and they have to, especially with the injuries that they have on offense. Still don't have Braylon Sanders, still don't have Jonathan Mingo. Certainly interested to see what their status is this week. And especially because that sets up the Ole Miss win against LSU sets up one of the best games in the country outside of the those two Big Ten games that we were talking about earlier in the SEC. Ole Miss travels to the Plains to take on Auburn on Saturday. The line open right at a pick'em. Going to do a crunch time preview on this later on in the week. 
but just straight off the cuff with without knowing the, the status of Sanders and, and Mingo and especially with how beat up Ole Miss is. They've run the gauntlet the past four weeks. Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU. Auburn's coming off a bye. They're playing their best football heading into the bye week. They had a chance to get healthy. Tank Bigsby certainly had a chance to to rest some and and get whatever ailments was was hurting him uh, ready to go for this game on Saturday. So got to think he's going to be ready to go. Jarquez Hunter was really running the football well. The true freshman in his absence for Auburn and no. Believe it or not, there's only two teams in the SEC West that still control their own destiny to Atlanta, and that's Alabama and Auburn. Brian Harson in his first season, you know, they're, they're about to hit the gauntlet. Ole Miss, Alabama, still got A&M coming up as well. So certainly they're going to hit the gauntlet, but they do control their own destiny in Brian Harson's first year on the Plains. And kind of just looking at it off the cuff, now, I really like where Auburn stands going into this game. Probably going to know more throughout the week on the status of, of what the Ole Miss players are, are feeling like for this week. So, But right now, if I had to – right now, on in the pick em, in the pick em format, I'd probably have to go with Auburn in this game just straight off the cuff. I just feel like they're going to be fresh. They're going to be ready to go. They're going to be at home. Home field advantage has been a huge advantage this year. But Ole Miss has certainly seen a couple of hostile environments, Alabama and then and then Tennessee. So they're definitely going to be prepared for Auburn on Saturday. But right now, with due to Auburn having that bye week, having that rest, being able to you know, have Tank Biggs be probably healthy this week, going to be able to run the football, really going to come down to who stops the run in that game. Anyway, but just off the cuff, I really like Auburn where they stand heading into that game. How about Texas A&M? They dominate South Carolina 44-14. to The Gamecocks with a blistering 15 yards of total offense through the first three quarters. Let me say that again because it's always shot. It's been shocking me as I've been preparing for the show uh, just to say that. Gamecocks with a blistering 15 yards of total offense through the first three quarters. And the whole night for the Gamecocks offensively against the AM starters on defense. AM, of course, took out the starters after the third quarter. South Carolina was able to have success in the fourth quarter, scored a couple touchdowns. Jason Brown came in, did some really nice things at quarterback. Be interested to see uh, South Carolina heads into the bye week this week, what the quarterback situation is going to look like against Florida on November 6th as they get ready to face the Gators. But no, the through the first three quarters, the whole night for the Gamecocks offensively was summarized by the play where Zev Nolan got sandwiched in the backfield and he got put down flat on his back and didn't get up for a few seconds. Really, really had to soak that one in. He came off the field, had a bloody mouth, a bloody nose. So that really summarized the whole night offensively through the first three quarters for South Carolina against the AM starters and no, no, we got a lot of South Carolina fans that listen to this. No, from a Carolina perspective, you are who you are offensively until you're not. And, you know, I'm not in the locker room, but I do have to think that it's demoralizing for the defense, especially when you think about them. 
they're certainly not a talented group. Uh, in the secondary, the defensive line is really talented. J.J. Anibari going to be a first-round pick. But just to do what, what Clayton White and Torian Gray have done with that back – with the back seven, you know, losing Sherrod Green was huge. Being able to stop the run. South Carolina hadn't stopped the run well since he's been out. Damani Staley, he's he's just too slow to to play linebacker uh, in this league. Definitely not. Definitely can't make the the quick twitch plays like Sherrod Green was making in the first part of the season. But you know, Jalen Foster leads the country in interceptions with five. Former walk on, he is the epitome of optimizing your talent on defense and Clayton White and Torian, Torian Gray, especially in the secondary coach Peterson, coach Lindsay, all the defensive staff have just done a really good job optimizing the talent they have over there. And, and in recruiting, Carolina's got some good defensive players coming in. If this class holds defensively, which I have to think with the performance and, and you know, the reputation that the coach White has built, uh, in his time in Columbia, the reputation that all that defensive staff has built in their time in Columbia, I have to think the reinforcements are on the way defensively for Carolina. But offensively, you're getting into a situation now. If you're Shane Beamer and and you don't, if you don't make changes to this offensive staff, and to me, you need to do it as quickly as possible if you're going to do it because you know the recruits are going to want to know. They're going to want to know what scheme they're going to play in. And, you know, honestly, if you're – you know, it's going to be hard if you bring back Marcus Satterfield, if you bring back Greg Atkins on the offensive line, you know, it's going to be hard to sell somebody like Antonio Williams on this offense and the future of it when the only thing you can promise him is immediate playing time. Now, he he has no, no tangible – Obviously, Justin Stepp does an incredible job with the wide receivers. So the relationship with him may be enough uh, with that for Antonio Williams. But, no, you have nothing to sell him on the offense so far other than immediate playing time because the offense is, is really sputtering right now. And, you know, if, if, if changes are coming, they need to come probably as quickly as possible uh, for recruiting sake because – all the momentum, especially on the offensive side of the football that you built uh, during the summer and the first part of the season in recruiting, all that's gone now. And so you're really going to have to to really buckle down if you're if you're South Carolina and you know if you, you know if you if you keep Marcus Satterfield, keep Greg Atkins, that's probably going to lead to uh, honestly if. Uh, it, may, it may lead to, you know, maybe maybe not, but it may lead to some some decommitments, and you're definitely not going to get the – you're definitely going to have a tougher time with the Antonio Williamses, the Dane Keys of the world at wide receiver because wide receivers obviously going into the season where Carolina need the most help, and they got to have reinforcements in that receiving room. And obviously if Antonio Williams does pick Carolina, he's going to play right away, but – you don't really have much on this offense to sell to recruits right now other than immediate playing time. But meanwhile, so that's enough on South Carolina, but meanwhile, A&M is really starting to hit their stride now on offense, really starting to cr create that continuity on the offensive line. 
you know, I know that, you know, the games against Arkansas and especially Mississippi State, uh, those were demoralizing if you're a Texas A&M fan listening to this. But, and, you know, you know, you hate to, you hated to lose Haynes King in the Colorado game because obviously it took Calzada a few weeks, which is to be expected. But it's just an unfortunate uh, situation, especially. But, you know, you probably you know the the Mississippi State game is what really hurts the most. Uh, the Arkansas game probably doesn't hurt quite as much, but the Mississippi State game is what hurts the most, especially considering now hindsight being 2020, you beat Alabama, you've taken care of business against Missouri and South Carolina. If you would have beaten Mississippi State, you would have still controlled your own destiny to get to the SEC championship game and possibly the college football playoffs. So that Mississippi State game really hurts. But the positive for A&M, Devon A-Chain, career high in rushing yards on Saturday night, another 100-yard performance from Isaiah Spiller. Those are two guys that are the best running back tandem in the country. And so I know that that the season hasn't been what A&M fans were, were hoping for, but still so many positives to take away from the last few weeks. Just an unfortunate situation with Haynes King getting hurt and and Calzada being thrust into the fold certainly took him a few weeks to to figure out things. But but credit to him, he's had an incredible last three weeks. He was a superhero against Alabama. So all credit to to Zach Calzada and all credit to to Jimbo Fisher and that staff for for the job that they're doing at Texas A and M. Elsewhere in the SEC, Arkansas dominates Arkansas Pine Bluff to get back on track, get back in the W column. And Mississippi State destroys Vanderbilt 45-6, to setting up that matchup next week against Kentucky. It's one of the more underrated games of the slate on Saturday, but it's going to be a great game of contrasting styles. Kentucky still, you know, deep down, they still want to run the football and play great defense. Mike Leach with the air raid, Will Rogers at quarterback. They want to throw the ball around. They want to get it to Wally on the outside. He's had an incredible year so far. So just to kind even though Kentucky has Will Levis has thrown shown a great ability to throw the ball down the field, they're certainly doing that better than any point uh, in the last few years. Of course, Liam Cohen coming over from the Rams from Sean McVay's offense has just done an incredible job with with Will Levis and that offense. So Kentucky can certainly throw it as well, but deep down, you know, they want to run the football and play really solid defense. So a really intriguing matchup of contrasting styles in Starkville on Saturday. Definitely one of the, like, like I said earlier, one of the more underrated games of the slate on Saturday. So that'll do it for the SEC recap. But just kind of looking, taking a look around uh, the rest of the country that, that we hadn't gotten to yet in terms of, of teams high in the rankings. Cincinnati, of course, was pushed by Navy, but – Really don't put too much stock into that. Definitely not going to punish Cincinnati for that because Navy can give anybody trouble. That triple option is a special preparation for anybody. Anytime you play one of the service academies, you play Army or Navy, uh, they're going to be a special preparation. And certainly certainly can't ding Cincinnati. Even though they did struggle a little bit, they still got the win on the road at Navy, and that's all that matters. And – now, really, it's all that matters because all they have to do is keep winning, and they're going to be 
in the conversation. If they're undefeated, they're going to be in that conversation to be in the college football playoff at the end of the year. First group of five team that's ever been in this position has ever even been deserving of this opportunity. So credit Luke Fickle in Cincinnati and what he's built there and just an incredible team that he has this year. And, you know, one of the key players uh, in terms of, of Cincinnati being able to get into the playoff is you know, probably going to be Oklahoma. And they survive against Kansas. And Caleb Williams takes the ball from Kennedy Brooks up 28-23 on fourth down. He rips the ball away from Kennedy Brooks. Never, never seen a quarterback rip the ball away like that from his running back before and pick up the first down, but certainly was able to give Oklahoma the win against Kansas, being able to convert on that fourth down, ended up going down and scoring to make it 35-23, and that was the final score. But, you know, Oklahoma still got a tough stretch coming up the last four games. Texas Tech, Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State, those are not – those are not easy matchups. Those are really, really hard matchups for Oklahoma, especially teams. If you a couple of those teams are going to be able to stretch the field on you vertically, and Oklahoma still with questions in the secondary, still get waiting to get some people back in the secondary. Alex Grinch talked about that the last couple of weeks. So no, it's no guarantee that Oklahoma goes undefeated the rest of the way, and that's only going to help Cincinnati. And also another scenario. No, kind of one hitting on that as we were looking around the college football landscape, the situation in the Big Ten with the Big Ten East gauntlet coming up. You know, the most likely scenario probably of that is Ohio State running the table, winning the Big Ten, and getting to the Big Ten championship game. But you can also have a scenario where, you know, maybe they cannibalize themselves. Maybe they all have a couple losses at the end. And Neat, no team from the Big Ten is able to get into the college football playoffs. So definitely something to watch there as we head down the stretch. You're too early for that. Going to look ahead to this week first, but certainly some some things to be watching out for down the stretch. That's only going to help uh, Cincinnati's case as well. And so the final thing, obviously, that we do here on the Crunch Time Recap is we give our Crunch Time players of the week and if you're watching on youtube the graphics up you can see it right there if you're listening to it on the podcast i'm going to read them out to you if you want to see the graphic uh anytime then make sure you're following on social media at plays crunch it is already posted there so you and if you've you've already seen it well you're already ahead of the game you know who the crunch time players are but if you're watching on youtube here's the graphic up here for you if you're listening on the podcast gonna be reading these out in just a moment. So Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett is the first crunch time player. Made play after play after play against Clemson, uh, in, especially in crunch time in the second half. And what a performance by him. He is in the Heisman conversation. And most of all, he is a crunch time player this week. Illinois quarterback Brandon Peters didn't start the game for Illinois, only was thrust into duty after Bukowski got hurt in the game and Peters certainly delivered the crunch time plays for Illinois and those final two overtimes, the two touchdown passes on the two point conversions in those final two overtime periods 
to give Illinois the 2018 win over Penn State. Illinois quarterback Brandon Peters, congratulations, you're a crunch time player this week. Iowa State running back Brees Hall scored the game-winning touchdown against Oklahoma State. They beat them 24-21. Alabama running back Brian Robinson. Of course, we talk about – I mentioned before that this was only a one-score game in the fourth quarter, 31-24 Alabama. It was Brian Robinson's two touchdown carries in the fourth quarter in crunch time of the game that separated the game for Alabama. So Brian Robinson, Alabama running back, gets the crunch time player nod in this game. And the last one is a game that we actually hadn't hit on yet. Kind of hit on Army a little bit being a special preparation, and they certainly wore this week for Wake Forest. But Wake Forest outlasts Army 70-56. to and Sam Hartman with a career day, Wake Forest quarterback, put up huge numbers, especially in the fourth quarter in crunch time of the game, to pull away from Army and give Wake Forest the 70-56 to 56 win over Army. So those are the crunch time players this week. Again, just to go back over them real quick, Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett, Illinois quarterback Brandon Peters, Iowa State running back Brees Hall, Alabama running back Brian Robinson, and Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman. Those are the Crunch Time players this week. And with that, that's going to do it for the Crunch Time recap in week eight. Going to be back with several Crunch Time previews, previewing week nine of the college football season. Got a Florida-Georgia preview coming up. Got Auburn Ole Miss. We're going to lump the Big Ten together, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, going to lump those together into one show. And hopefully we'll have a chance to do uh, one more uh, crunch time preview as well. So really loading up on the previews this week, getting ready for what's going to be in a really exciting week nine in college football. So thank you so much for tuning in to the Crunch Time Recap, recapping week eight. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And make sure you're following on social media as well, at Plays Crunch. So this has been the Crunch Time Recap, recapping week eight of the college football season. Hope everybody has a great start to the week, and God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Crunch Time Plays with your host, Bennett Ganey. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow at Plays Crunch on Twitter and Instagram.